everybody. I'm Dave Sandell. And I'm Caleb Gardner. And this is the Best Album 4 Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the best album for 2 a.m. becoming 1 a.m. because Daily Savings Time is upon us. It's basically time travel. Did you ever watch Pete and Pete growing up? Do you remember the Nickelodeon show Pete and Pete? I, I remember it, but I didn't really watch it. I watched it a few times for those probably, let's face it, younger listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about. There was a show on Nickelodeon about two brothers. They were both named Pete. They were both redheads. The younger one was crazy and irresponsible, but every once in a while we'll go through these kind of crazy adventures. And one of them that stuck in my mind was about daylight saving and how in the middle of the night, if you're awake when daylight saving happened, you were basically time traveling. And it like it had this like graphic where he was like literally being pulled back. Oh, it was uh, it was awesome. Did you ever have a, a time of your life where you were awake for the time change? I think maybe once or twice in college. Like that's pretty late. <laughs> so don't spend a lot of my life being up that late these days. In Iowa, the bars closed at two a.m. So uh, the the fallback day was like everybody's favorite day because at two a.m. The bar would stay open for another hour, which meant we were staying up till 3 a.m. essentially. And everybody thought this was a great idea. (laughs) That's funny. Hey, worked a good promo for the bar, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, We always were up for the the time change in college and now I'm never up for it. I just (laughs) have to pay the the tax, the the daily savings time tax with my kids the next day and the following Mm -hmm. weeks. It's a very different experience when you have kids. It's very much like. When you're a young adult, you were like, yes, fall back. We get an extra hour. And then when you have kids, you realize, oh, wait, they don't really get that concept. And now we've just messed with their schedules, especially if you have younger kids. They are just getting up at the same time their body tells them they're supposed to get up. They don't realize they should get an extra hour of sleep. I just want to call out that when I told my wife what subject matter we were going to record about, she was like, oh, I can hear this conversation already. She was like, it's going to be about how you're never up that late, how kids ruin it, and you're going to come off as old. And I was like, yes, that is probably true. So, Okay, so if we had to zag, if we had to have a hot take on daylight savings time, what would it be? <laughs> hot take. It's... Daylight savings time is great, and we should keep it That's forever. True. Daylight savings time is awesome because you get another hour to listen to music. Ah, there you go. I think we should go with daylight savings time exists. So what are you going to do with your gift of an extra hour? And we're here to pitch you on mm. why not listen to some awesome music at one in the morning? It, if fall is a gift of an an hour is spring a theft of an hour is that how it works yeah well we'll do a different episode with a very different vibe for spring (laughs) spring daylight saving is all anger and all bitterness (laughs) (laughs) so when i was thinking about how to approach an episode about 2 a.m becoming 1 a.m i thought why don't we talk about albums that sound really good in like the wee hours of the evening morning what is 1 a.m to you does that feel like evening or morning still Night. <laughs> we hours of the night. Night. Yeah. Can't be morning or evening at that point. I feel like that's just in that you are in a mental space where you're not quite sure what time it is or what day it is. If you were up that early, you're probably up up to no good. Um, and you may be slightly intoxicated or on some kind of hallucinogen. 
Um, I take take it to be this kind of spacey, surreal hour where you're just like, am I alive right now? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I like your take better. My take is more often I'm still working. It's midnight. It's 1 a.m. and I'm still working. Oh, Come God, on. That's, a, that's a different album altogether, for sure. Right. <laughs> if it's I have to work that late. ooh, that has happened to me again. I feel like only in college where I've oh, like, really? put something off that long. Oh, and had I to kind of like write a paper into the wee hours of the morning. I don't know if professionally I've ever had to do that. Mine is less about put it off that long and more about there is too much on my plate. Like I have over committed myself to a number of things, yeah. including work. So here I am. <laughs> it actually happens more often than I care to admit, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the wee <laughs> hours of the morning in a fun way. Caleb, what are the hallmarks of a good one in the morning album? For me, it's things that sound really good in the dark. Like it seems like it was made in the dark, like they recorded it in the dark, they released it in the dark. You are only allowed to listen to it in the dark. And if you don't, you lose all of the intentionality of the piece. Oh, that's only allowed is an interesting way to put it because I didn't think, I think my choice today, I think fits that it's meant to be played in the dark, but not necessarily. I've definitely played this when it's not in the dark. So I don't know that it's only allowed, but that is how I approached it. I was like, what is meant to be played, not just in the dark, but in that kind of surreal space where I'm not quite sure what time it is, what day it is, why am I still awake? I also thought about if you're up that late, you're probably, I hope, having a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, like that surreal, I don't know what day it is, also is losing yourself in the moment and just like enjoying yourself and hopefully being with friends or maybe out at a club or partying. So I, I wanted something that was a little bit darker in that it was meant to be played at night but not like super dark in that it was like you're scared or it's not a it's not a I can't sleep at 2 a.m right it's a it's a I'm not having fun at 2 a.m and I want to lose myself that's how I thought of it I think for me there's also an element of I'm deep in my thoughts Uh, I'm getting very philosophical and very introspective Mm. very contemplative maybe yeah Uh, and so I I want some music that is going to pull me deeper into some feeling that I don't normally access because it's daytime Yeah, and things are going well. I've had some really great deep conversations with friends into the middle of the night. Absolutely. I think that fits for sure. Yeah. I also originally thought I wanted to play something that was quiet and like bringing the evening to a close or kind of the post evening because I think by one or two in the morning, if I'm out still, I need to be home. (laughs) And so I need to be calming down. But I decided that I don't actually want to just rehash our best album for falling asleep or best album for decompressing. So it's something that like sounds really good when it's played loud, but it also feels like it belongs to that that genre of this is chill. This isn't going to make me stay awake for another three hours, ah, but yes. it is going to be really good for this hour. Yeah, I like that. Shall we jump in? Yeah. Let's do it. I picked for my choice today, I picked a a classic album from the 90s, 1994's Dummy by Portishead. So this is a record that that I don't know. I I say this about too many records that it changed my life. This record changed (laughs) my music tastes. And so when I first got my hands on this, I guess on the strength of Sour Times, although Sour Times is now my least favorite song by Portishead in their entire catalog. Loves 
I assume by the strength of, of Sour Times, I, I bought the record and I had at that point not really made a foray into Massive Attack or any electronic music. This is my first kind of beat driven album that I ever spent much time with. And there was something about 14 year old me that was very swept up in like the kind of film noir, spy music, mysterious vibes of this record where it's like pulling from jazz and cabaret and soul. And there's all these kind of slowed down, broken up hip hop beats and all this atmosphere. Wandering stars for whom it is preserved. The blackness, the darkness. The whole album is just an hour long vibe, <laughs> like one yeah. ambient vibe, but it's not ambient music necessarily. Uh, there is a lot of, of grit and grime on this record. Mm-hmm. The the bass lines and the guitar lines sound beefy and thrilling, crunchy even sometimes. And the samples that Jeff Barrow decided to use all feel old and broken and from a time that not just is like days of yore, but like seedy days of yore. Like I would expect a lot of these came out of like yeah. New York nightclubs in the like 30s or something. <laughs> I just want to say on behalf of our listeners that I'm shocked, shocked that a trip hop album from 1994 is so important to Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I I will say one thing that is true about this record that isn't necessarily true about the other kind of hallmark trip hop albums is that I continue to listen to it to this day. Massive Attack's Blue Lines, to some extent, Tricky's Max and Quay. I'll put those on from time to time, but they aren't albums that I go to over and over again. Portishead's Dummy is an album that I have lived with my, my entire life. And it has never been a time where I haven't really, where I've kind of forgotten about it. And I think I attribute that to Beth Gibbons. These dreams that pass me by the salvation I desire. So her voice that is so haunting and a little broken, it feels like when she is, when she's singing, there's all this longing and all this heartache and all this kind of, bare threadedness that's going on in her vocals apparently she had not done much singing or not much singing outside of like singing around the house (laughs) before this record and she has such a singular voice to me and i find everything that she does on this record every choice she makes with her voice to be so full of i don't know what the right word is here like vigor isn't exactly it it's so full of of lived experience. Yeah. That in the lyrics, most of these lyrics are a little desperate and a little lonely and a little, maybe a little nihilistic, like teetering on the edge of that. But I don't find this album depressing at all. I find this album plaintive and, and honest. Yeah. And, and in a really good way. And, you know, there's all these roads and all these Hammonds and there's Theremin before Johnny Greenwood ever touched a Theremin. There is so much going on in this record that I find just completely thrilling to listen to. And so a couple songs that I deeply love, Roads is, is my favorite track on Portishead's Dummy. Oh, can't anybody see? Glory Box, which is not a song about a woman wanting a man, even though people seem to want to play it in movies when there's sex scenes or something. It seems like it's more about a woman saying, I'm sick of playing this game. Just give me a reason to care. Give me a reason to like even want to bother with you. Just be a uh, person. So it's not like her saying, let me be a woman. It's her saying, like, just let me be a woman. Give me a reason to 
wandering star. It's a fire. There's so many amazing songs that all build to these brilliant climaxes. I saw them live several years ago, which oh, was, did you? was oh, that's awesome. Fun. I was in the front row. We got there so early. I wasn't be as close as possible. It's the only time that I've been in a concert where a singer came out into the crowd and I touched their hand. <laughs> like oh, that's wow. never happened before. So that was pretty cool. And you've never washed your hands since. I, it's pretty gross. <laughs> and it was so cool because it was so loud at the Aragon Ballroom. And this music, I play it loud in my headphones, but I don't necessarily think of it as loud music. And it's mm. slow music. You know, it's like quiet, intentional, I guess. But it is meant to be played as loud as possible. I was reading an interview with Jeff Barrow that he did with New York Times on the 25th anniversary where they were talking about a lot of people think of this record as like a good dinner party album. And he thinks that's the worst idea, like the worst way to listen to the record. He, He says, I think you've got the wrong idea of the record. Maybe go home and put it on and turn it up as loud as you can. Um, yeah, I would never have thought of it as a dinner party record. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think trip hop just falls into that place. It's so chill and and spooky, but also ignorable. <laughs> like they're not in your face constantly. It is if you play it at the background of a dinner party. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that feels like an intentional choice. Do you have a relationship with this record? Did you find this record in the no. 90s? I feel like I have a relationship with Portishead the same way I have a relationship with Massive Attack or any of those trip hop really like early electronic. Mm. The 90s was such an interesting place for electronic and hip hop and the like birth of music. I don't know. That didn't require instruments. (laughs) I guess that was really more the 80s now that I'm thinking about. There was some really interesting electronic stuff done in the 80s too. But I digress. My my point was more, I think this was a little bit ahead of my time in terms of Mm. um, my music sentience but like it was present like sour times obviously was present there was like there were tracks that were present so i think that i had a relationship with this the same way i had a relationship with a lot of other these these kind of bands at the time where it was like some of the tracks were kind of omnipresent but i never went deep into the catalogs of any of them that makes sense yep have you since then found portishead or is it just lived as background music at the gap (laughs) Oh, God, that's so sad to think about it like that. I know. I honestly never had an excuse to go deep into it until you told me you were picking this album. So nice. Nice. now I feel like I need to live with it for a while. There's something that I read in in one of the interviews that I I might have been the same interview. He said uh, we were desperately influenced by old records. And we were also desperately influenced by hip hop from your fair countries. That would lead us to recording our own sessions and then cutting them to vinyl. And then putting the vinyl records on the studio floor and walking across them and using them like skateboards. And then that's, they would then play those records, I guess, and like chop those records up as the samples. There are samples here from famous sources. There's an Isaac Hayes song that's been used numerous times throughout hip hop history. But a lot of these uh, songs are actually built on their own recording sessions, which I find super cool. I think a lot of these artists who are amazing will often be pulling samples from things that other people have created. And I find it so fascinating that they created something of their own and then made them sound old and made them sound like samples. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just you know using whatever they recorded out of the gate. The more I deep dive into people's kind of music development processes, processes, the more I'm fascinated by how much people play with sound. They will find like an eight-year-old's keyboard and somehow weave it into a song or they will play something and then overproduce it on purpose like like send it through a speaker that goes through a speaker that goes through a speaker you know like they will find ways to just distort it and manipulate it 
And this was all really a lot of this was pre the technology that we have now. So it was really all just playing around with this, literally the space that they had in the studio with different out there instruments and, and amps and everything else. Well, apparently they found like broken instruments and broken recording devices, broken amps. And people often thought they did that so that they could make it sound broken, make it sound old. And they said, that's just what we, what we could afford. <laughs> and these are all like, this is <laughs> a 22 year old guy in England who doesn't have much money. Just, this is what we can afford. So this is what we recorded on. What I think is really interesting is that this is happening at the same time as Billy Corgan in Chicago is like tr going for perfection. So it's like <laughs> you've got these artists yeah. that are like obsessive about creating the perfect sound but the perfect sound of them doesn't necessarily mean clean or it doesn't necessarily need to mean yeah new. absolutely so i think that that combo of aiming for perfection but trying to get exactly the right sound and a different sound is a really interesting one that is probably why a lot of them are on drugs like that just <laughs> forces them into insanity so i think the best time of day to listen to this record is about one in the morning I think as loud as you can play it. So if that's headphones or, or in your home away from children, I guess. I don't know how many yeah. listeners we have here fit, fit the categories of uh, home without children. But Is that because it still has to be loud? I think so. All yeah. right. And so there is this sort of cabaret quality to this music. And I think that I associate this album with something like, it's not sinful necessarily. It's more being at a place where it's a little dangerous or a little outside of your normal everyday diner experience or whatever. I can see that. <laughs> and so, uh, and this, it starts there, but then it builds to this exhilarating, cathartic climax in every one of these songs that is, is, is so fire that I love playing this at one in the morning. I think that it is an, an easy pick for, for an album that will sound the best when you're a little tired, a little groggy, uh, but your mind is still racing a little bit. Yeah. And not going to put you to sleep, even though it's a little down tempo and still a little dark. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. might put me to sleep. I'm easily put to sleep <laughs> at that point in the morning. So let's just be honest. Yeah. I like, I want to call out a couple of the notes I saw about this album that reviewers yeah. said that I thought were really great. One, this album is a down tempo spy novel. Mm, I like that. I like that. <laughs> and then another one just said, this thing will give you chills. I think that's yeah. going on the like, slightly dangerous angle right yeah for sure like you get chills up your spine absolutely yeah i wonder what song they're they're talking about there for me it's roads but i wonder what their what their version is it's funny that i think a lot of people still associate portishead with sour times and sour times is just it's a fine song it just is the one song that kind of isn't the same vibe as the rest of the record or as anything else that they ever made but he didn't write it to be a single so i've always been fascinated by sour times why it got so popular and how it remained popular despite so many better songs on, on, on this record. And I, I'm appreciative that this record is now seen as like a Pantheon 90s or Pantheon ever yeah. album. It shows up on really albums is. of all time lists. So it didn't get pigeonholed into like one hit Wonderland, um, which is which is great because I don't think anything ever reached the same level of popularity as Sour Times, but it's just a, a critically adored album and deservedly so. Isn't it fascinating how often we, I don't know about you, but I've seen definitely some of my favorite albums are the same thing where like, the single that was like massively popular is maybe my least favorite song on the album or like one of one I'm like way down. So it's like, why did that get like, so much radio play versus some other things? How much of that is you think you've just heard it too many times and you've gotten overexposed to it versus it's actually not one of the better tracks on the record? Yeah, maybe. I think that's part of it. 
But I don't know. I, yeah, it's hard to separate it that out from just like overplay and then. I saw somebody say that oftentimes the radio singles are like melodic and easy and like they're immediately hook you in versus the yeah. album tracks are not necessarily as immediate. And so you have to spend more time with them and you Makes discover sense. the riches of them as they're you go. Whereas in the singles, all the riches are right on top. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know if that's always the case, though. I mean, we're kind of going on a on a tangent here and we'll have to. You know what? We should have a, We should have an episode that's best album for listening to anything but the singles. Because I do feel like there's times where that's not the case. Where it's I'm like genuinely like, why did this get chosen as a single? I have no idea why this is the yeah. most popular song. Oh, that's fun. That's fun to think about. Speaking of things that will not put you to sleep, your pick today is a banger. Let's get into it. <laughs> My pick is a 2011 album, "Hurry Up, We're Dreaming" by M83 which is easily one of my favorite albums of all time and has gotten a mm. lot of play from me. But I think that I chose this going in. It's funny because it, contrasting to Portishead, I find this album to be very hopeful mm. versus like dark and like slightly nihilistic, but it yep. still feels like it hits that middle of the night surreal atmospheric what day is it <laughs> kind of tone i don't think to my point earlier that it needs to only be played in the middle of the night but i do think it is best played in the middle of the night it's probably because the the thing that most people will associate this easily is midnight city this is the song that i think is by far in a way the most well-known m83 song yep i don't think it'll surprise you that I don't necessarily agree that it's the, his best song, but <laughs> it got a ton of radio play back back when it came out, mostly on the strength of that synth melody, which is just catchy and gets stuck in your head. And you know the one I'm talking about. It's... <laughs> should, I, should I put that on over the <laughs> yes, sample please. we're going to play? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I literally, when I was telling my wife about this album recently, I was like, oh, this is the album I'm going to choose. She was like, do I know that one? And I was like, yeah, of course you know it. And she was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Your wife is the best recurring character on best album for. <laughs> oh, so the, I would say that the, what's true of most of M83 is they go for these cinematic sounds, these like amazingly atmospheric sounds or i should say he mm -hmm. does because this is like the project of anthony gonzalez who's a french artist and the two best use cases i think for most of m83's music especially this album is either in the middle of the night or you've got to be like soaring on a mountaintop like i don't i don't yes, i really don't know sure. those feel like the two most appropriate use cases for this because it is just you are taking in the world around you and he's doing it through this production that is just you're like does he have an orchestra for every single sound but then some of them come back and it's just like this like midnight city this kind of synth beat mm -hmm. so he does this great combination of really orchestral atmospheric production value and very electronic dancey 
pop, both in kind of the storytelling and the use of the synth and the beats. The intro, this the intro to this double album, I should say, always gets me because it's got this mm. great guest spot from Zola Jesus, and he just sets her loose to compliment the build of this song. And it is mm. such a great build. It starts off with this just tiny little like kind of a two note electronic and it builds into this amazing thing where you just have to feel like you're beating on the drums along with it because <laughs> the drums are like going Absolutely. insane and that really sets the tone for me for this entire album because it it alternates between quiet and delicate and like big and loud and orchestral and atmospheric in a way that just hits me in, in all the right spots. What's your relationship? You you love this album too, right? I do love this album. It's not my favorite of my three album, but it's it's up there and, and they're, they're a band that I've liked for a long time. I first got turned on to them in 2003 on their record, Dead Cities, Red Seas and Lost Ghosts which Fine. is mostly instrumental, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just kind of like all catharsis. It's my favorite record to put on in the middle of winter when I just need to get outside, but I don't want to because it feels like, okay, <laughs> funny. I'm hopeful. I can do this. And Saturday's Equal Youth was uh, huge. And then when they hit Hurry Up or Dreaming and they broke through and, and crossed over into mainstream appeal, it was really fun. This uh, Midnight City reunion, those songs are so uh, iconic and yeah. I know that there's all sorts of synth heavy music and kind of 80s style music throughout the early 2000s. So yeah. it is unfair to say M83 like ushered that in. Maybe what I want to say is M83 felt like it perfected something that that artists in the 80s were, were aiming at um, mm, in a oh, way that that felt exciting to me. We've talked about like how the 80s sometimes just sound very dated just because yeah. of production values or production i don't know just choices they don't sound current like i listen to talking heads records or i listen to nxs or depeche mode or whoever is laying heavy on synths and genesis and those albums are they're perfect they're masterpieces they're there there's no notes i could give on how to make them better <laughs> and yet they sound like they were written in the 80s and for some reason, Hurry Up or Dreaming sounds like it was an album that was written in the 80s for all time. <laughs> and it's this timeless piece oh, of, of synth catharsis. So, yeah, I dig this record a lot. I don't like I don't know if it sounds to me like it was written in the 80s, but it does sound like it owes its heritage to that. My hypothesis about this and someone smarter about 80s music can correct me about this is that in the 80s, we were discovering what synth music and electronic music and basically anything outside of kind of the normal set of instruments we had used to that point could do mm. to be a part of that mix yeah it didn't always lead the mix or drive the melody and it still felt like we were trying to make it like equal player mm. this is again my read of it it's we were trying to like see how that could work with everything we'd been doing up to that point traditionally on stage or you know in the studio and I think as people took that and ran with it into the 90s, into like more electronic music, into more dance music, into when M M M83 became popular, people just took that and were like, oh, no, this could be an entire synth song if I want it to be. Midnight City is basically like all driven by that one synth melody with some dance beats behind it. The relationship between synth and the rest of the mix felt like it changed. 
since we're being introduced as far back as the Beatles and Stevie Wonder has sure, yeah. multiple masterpieces that are synth heavy, but they always felt like they were like it was a new instrument that everybody was learning to integrate, like you said. And and then in the eighties, I felt like the eighties it got integrated with the drums in a way that felt like kind of the right place for it to sit in the mix. And then here they just let it loose as you know, right. this is the driving force and you know, made it the loudest instrument. There's a lot of shoegaze in this record. His vocals are a little more buried in the mix. The lyrics matter, but they don't matter that much. Agreed. They're mostly just you know words to sound good. At least that's my read of it. Maybe somebody's life has been changed and they've tattooed all of their arms with <laughs> M83 lyrics. But as best I can tell, the, the reason M83 is so huge is because they took that synth sound and just turned it up to 11 yep. and now it's just rattling your headphones. Do you yeah. find a little bit of diminishing returns as you go along in this album? It's 22 songs long and it's only a little over an hour. So it's not like it's this huge double album, but yeah. I, I do find that, you know, like Steve McQueen is a great song and that's late on the second disc. Yes. Back when we had discs. But I do find a little bit of diminishing returns. And it's funny that I just did Portishead that does the same vibe for an hour. And I'm like, great, I can do another hour. Sign me up. And for this, I'm like, okay. I think I wanted them to just do something else. And I think my chief complaint about M83 Sense is that I always think the first few songs are so awesome. And then it just doesn't go anywhere from there. <laughs> like they just kind of do the same thing over and over again. Does that feel yeah. true to you at all? I think it does. Um, I. I think that I could put on this entire album and be happy to listen to the entire thing. But I do agree that I'm like very into the first quote unquote disc more mm -hmm. so than the, the second disc. Yeah. And with Steve McQueen aside, to your point, if I'm going to listen to it, if that's the only thing I'm doing is listening to the album that I want it to go somewhere else. Uh, I agree that as a background thing, even a loud background thing, this is a very exhilarating record. But when I've actually sat down and tried to just connect with the music for an hour and 13 minutes, I lose the thread a little bit. And that's what's always stopped it from being like one of my very favorite. And actually, you know, M83, their latest record, I had that same experience of like, hey, they're returning to this sound and it's so awesome. And all the early singles were so good. And then the album came out. And I'm like, oh, I don't care about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a similar experience with M83 since then, I think, in terms of enjoying some of the singles and the album kind of not hitting quite as hard. But my intro to them was really midnight city and, and yeah. this album so this album still holds a special place in their canon for me and since i've gone back and listened to some other things and like you said been various levels of thrilled about new stuff mm -hmm. but yeah i think it's about the same i do think that for this topic when thinking about being up in the middle of the night having this surreal feeling of them connecting with people and it doesn't matter what time of the time it is or it doesn't matter what day it is and maybe sometimes I want to dance maybe sometimes I just want to sit around and contemplate the world mm. it fits with that really well absolutely this is on real good at 1am in a bar yeah totally. already around a fire or something like that yeah one of these days I'm going to find a record where I say I don't like this very much and you're like yeah you're wrong it's awesome <laughs> every time I'm like eh, I don't know about this you're like yeah me too a little I keep bit picking things that you also like no I'm saying I thought you were going to fight me on M83 I thought I was going to pick a little fight there I was just saying oh. I don't know if I feel this record all the way through and you were going to say nope you're wrong 
no, no. It's that the problem is I will tell you the re the reason why I think that and the reason why I think it does have diminishing returns is he starts to lean later on in the album a lot more. Well, I guess he's got it throughout the whole, but I feel like I noticed the like less than two minute filler tracks a lot mm -hmm. more as the album goes on. I think that to me, I I have a low tolerance for filler. We talked about this before on yeah. like sketch tracks and yep. all of this other stuff. I have a lower tolerance for filler. So the longer this album goes on and the more integrated those filler tracks tend to be, I kind of go, oh, all right, all right, we get, we get it. You know, like, so maybe I tolerate those more with disc one, but by the time we get to disc two, I'm like, okay, how many more of these do we have? Yeah, I, that sounds right to me. There's there's filler on the back end of this record that's unfortunate. Yeah. You want to talk about Canon real quick? Supporta said, yeah. I, I, so I actually just redid my rankings for fun a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I'm going to pull up my new rankings. Classic. That nobody cares about but me and tell you that Portishead's Dummy is my number 13 album of all time. So it easily right, goes into there. easily goes into the canon, uh, especially because it's actually one of the few records that has hovered in that top 20 range my whole life. Like when I look at my top 20, huh. there's only like two or three records, even my top 100. There's only a handful of records that like I this was also one of my favorites when I first heard it in the early 90s. And it remains that way now. Order says dummy easily in my canon. I'm assuming not in your canon since you don't have a lot of experience with it. No, but knowing that it's so high in yours, I definitely want to spend more time with it for sure. How about M83? Yeah, I think this one would go in my canon for sure. I, I just have I've put this on a lot, especially when it came out. But even since then, I'll spend a lot of time with this. To your point about it being great around a fire or being great mm -hmm. when you're having conversations with friends, even being great just around the house on a Saturday morning. There's just, I have found this not only great for the middle of the night, but great for lots of occasions and mm. always inspiring and hopeful and makes me kind of bang on my eardrums in a really fun way. Yeah, right on. We talk about building our Hall of Fame someday. I could see this being like the track that's playing when you walk into the Caleb Hall of Fame. Gets you amped up to be there and <laughs> Midnight that's City funny. going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people have always associated me with uh, discotheques, so I think that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that really got me. <laughs> what are some of your honorable mentions? I think what was hard for me with the, the honorable mentions and the reason why I ended up going with this album is because I was alternating between the where do I want it to be more dancey, clubby, fun versus where do I want to just be sitting around the fire with a drink in my hand talking and getting into deep conversation. Don't know that there's a lot of albums that fit both those contexts. Yeah. I also want to say that I have thought of Nine Inch Nails for literally an honorable mention of every <laughs> single. I don't know what it is about all of our topics, but it never makes it into the exact right album for that topic. But it always feels like, should I consider that? Similarly, a lot of Nine Inch Nails vibe feels great for the mm. middle of the night if you want to go out and break things, but not if you want to enjoy yourself or feel like life is hopeful or optimistic. And, and certainly not if you want to go to sleep at two. <laughs> yeah. At one, but you're aiming to be asleep by two. <laughs> Seriously. So that was definitely something I thought of, but there are a couple of albums that I thought would be really great if you wanted that more party atmosphere. One is a great album by Young Thug from 2016 called Jeffrey. Do you know this album? Uh, um, not very well. I mean, I, I know Young Thug. I don't know that I've spent much time with this one. I, I haven't spent much time with his work in general, but I remember when this album came out, you know, I've got an affinity of mix of kind of electronic beats and hip hop. And this album has yeah. this fascinating vibe 
and some really fun track names. One of the one of the album track names is called Wyclef Jean, and one's called Kanye West featuring Wyclef Jean. <laughs> <laughs> nice. One's called Floyd Mayweather. Like they're just, I don't ask me, but it is a pretty great album for what it is. The other one I thought of was the oh, such good album by Jamie XX uh, in color. You know, this one, we both, I think, talked about this one when it came out from 2015. Mm -hmm. Just really great electronic, slow moving, dancey mm -hmm. music that I, this could be the right trick, the right album. I don't know. But this one was high up on my consideration list for sure. I can't wait to someday talk about some of those other records, too. So uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep making best album for us. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so some of mine, it'll be no surprise that a lot of my favorite records fit this vibe. A lot of Radiohead albums, Kid A and Amnesiac being like the first ones that come to mind, but in Rainbows, maybe Moonshape Pool. I almost decided to go with DJ Cozy's Amygdala. And if I'm just honest, <laughs> that's probably my pick. But I thought I'm just not quite ready to unpack it with I you. I was going to say that the bar <laughs> feels like so high to pick I DJ know. Cozy for anything. I know. One of these days I got to get into it, though. He's got a record coming out next year, so maybe we'll just do a, a podcast around that time. Yeah, hopefully he's not going to go on any Facebook groups and talk about how so much sad. he hates puppies um, oh, before gosh. that. <laughs> Frank Ocean's Blonde. Slow Dive's new record actually fits this really well. Um, oh, yeah, Phoebe Bridges Punisher. Essentially anything by Apex Twin that is chill <laughs> and not anything by Apex <laughs> Twin that is not chill. And then for the second week in a row, Boards of Canada's, well, the different album that I picked last week for honorable mention, but Boards of Canada's Music Has the Right to Children certainly fits this vibe of albums that sound really good at one in the morning. So Solid. can't go wrong with essentially anything that I love. <laughs> it sounds really Solid. good at one in the morning. Please Those are really allowed. good ones. My problem with Radiohead, I definitely, I feel like would fit. And my problem with Phoebe is that she'd probably put me to sleep at 2 a.m. Yeah, that's like fair. Very soft, gentle, amazing, but yeah. very delicate but Punisher, voice. Punisher feels like an album that demands to be listened to at night. And, and it is... Certainly, if you're in your feels and you're in that contemplative space, uh, she'll take you all the way there. <laughs> nice. So, yep. Uh, hey, before we go, what are you listening to this week? I finally put on that big head record this week. The worst is yet to come. And it's actually pretty solid. Like, I'd, I'd never heard of this band. It was a they were recommended as an album of the week recently when this album came out. I think they're from Austin, somewhere in Texas. They're a Texas based man. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I, I've, it's been a while since I've enjoyed something that feels like pure rock to me. Mm. Maybe the last Spoon album is the thing that I can think of the most that had, okay. uh, you know, like I went back to there more almost hillbillyish rock, like bopping beat rock. And this album isn't quite that, but it, it does have a lot of potential. And so I'd give it a spin. What are you listening to? There's a new album by Sun June called Bad Dream Jaguar that I'm just really taken with. It's a it's folk music, but it's hazy synth-led folk music. So it's real atmospheric. Probably has a little bit in common with Portishead, but it's just very, very chill, very heady, very moody. And I'm really into it. I think it's gonna end up pretty high in my year unless. Sound the alarm that Sun June's Bad Dream Dragwire is a must listen. I love that every other week you're like, this is going to be high on my year end list. There's got to be like 
30, 40 albums that you're like, this is going to be high on my end. My long list right now is like 40 deep, but my short list, I'm actually at 10 right now. If we did a top 10 right now, I would have 10 that I feel really good about. And then I would have a thousand that I would be sad aren't on there. Um, (laughs) But of course, something's going to come out (laughs) between now and the end of the year that's going to sadly knock one of these amazing records off. Yeah, of course. It's going to come out on December 20th and you're going to be like, shit, what do I do with this? <laughs> but certainly I think at least two of my top fives in the middle of the year are already out. So <laughs> Nice, nice. Yeah. All right, man. We, we will see you uh, next week as we continue our, our long, arduous task of determining the best album for every single situation in the world. Uh, so send us your <laughs> suggestions for future topics. Send us your records that you love playing at one in the morning. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it. Share it on whatever social media network you are most connected with. We'd love to expand the audience here before the end of the year. So uh, hit us up and share it wide. That was weird. I said I said that part weird. <laughs> you went into a little like radio DJ there at the end. Smash that like button. <laughs> I'm Casey Kasem. And... Uh... <laughs> 